0: Welcome to By the Fiberside, a knitting and spinning podcast from somewhere in the western half of Canada. Episode 72, A Different Cold. trip last week provided a good contrast in different types of cold. It was early winter in Alberta when we were there this past weekend. The weather was dry, the wind was blowing, and there was a little bit of snow on the ground. The airport personnel in Edmonton were bundled right up, with scarves wrapped around their faces, gloves on their hands, and bulky jackets and pants to keep themselves in working condition as they directed planes, drove around maintenance vehicles, and otherwise kept the airport running. It was the Alberta cold I grew up with and have known for most of my life. It is the cold of cracked lips and knuckles, the frozen tight feeling of breathing in through your nose, the squeak of dry snow underfoot, the reason I bought wool-lined mucklucks for winter boots last year. It is frost so hard it takes a long time to scrape your windshield, snow that compresses and evaporates into the air over several days crisp blue skies and brown and white fields dotted with the skeletal trunks of deciduous trees in contrast with the deep green of conifers. It is the cold that reminds me that Christmas is coming, even if, for the last decade, Christmas weather has been decidedly variable, either freezing cold or warm enough to walk around in spring jackets. It is something my body recognizes and responds to, for good or bad, and since I've lived so long here, It means that the other types of cold in the world are more an intellectual exercise than something I really know. I've known different types of cold, of course. My first work term in Ottawa back in 1998 started just before the big ice storm that caused havoc and an incredible amount of damage. It was the first time I'd experienced winter in a different place, as I lived there for four months rather than just vacationing for a few weeks or days. The 80 hours of freezing rain made everything treacherous and it was followed by a huge drop in temperature, which just solidified the ice further. I remember bundling up and taking a hammer to the ice coating the front step of the house I lived in, just to make toeholds down to the concrete. I couldn't even get all the ice off. It was so cold and frozen to the steps that it merely chipped off, rather than shattered into big chunks. Winter in eastern Canada was different, even without the ice storm. The humidity was higher, though the temperatures were similar, which just made it feel all that much colder. It was the first time in my life I understood how cold can seep into one's bones, how you can feel the cold from the inside out and think you'll never be warm again. I did try to enjoy it. I never went skating on the Rideau Canal, less because of the cold, and more because I didn't know how to skate very well. But I did visit some museums and went to Carnival in Quebec City with my roommates. And then, just as I thought I might be getting used to it, My work term ended, and back I went to Alberta. By contrast, the cold on the Pacific coast has different characteristics, and I know that I haven't experienced them all yet. I have noticed that, like Alberta, it is warmer when the clouds roll in, but that generally means temperatures above freezing, rather than a 10 degree rise from whatever frozen depths we've reached. Clear nights are brisk, and the temperature drops noticeably when the sun goes down, much like the tropics. Being so near so much water, both salt and fresh, means that humidity plays a role. I notice it most in my toes, which can get chilled quicker than any other part of my body. And yet, I still haven't changed into a proper winter jacket from a thick cotton hoodie, nor am I wearing anything heavier on my feet than a pair of running shoes, though from time to time I do put on wool socks. I know that as we pass winter solstice, I can expect different weather. The locals tell me that there will be snow and ice at some point, But right now, the only ice I see is in the cat's outside water dish, which occasionally freezes over in the mornings. Being a fiber artist, I enjoy cooler temperatures because it gives me an excuse to wear my knits. A shawl wrapped around the neck makes a difference in body temperature, the same way woolen socks warm the feet. I'm working on a new pair of fingerless gloves because I know that keeping the wrists warm is a good way to keep the rest of the hand warm. Next up will be another pair of socks, or perhaps an elbow pair of gloves, or maybe a new hat, but the common denominator will be wool. Wool is so versatile in the cold, stays warm when wet, not a small consideration when the precipitation I can expect will be more rain than snow, and there are so many lovely blends and dyed yarns available to make interesting and warm knitwear to say nothing of what I can spin myself. Just a temperature reading doesn't tell you how the weather feels. Minus 10 Celsius here will be quite a bit different from minus 10 in Alberta, or minus 10 in Ottawa, or in England, Denmark, and other places around the world. Context is important, and context for this place is what I'm developing right now. Wherever I end up in the world, whenever I end up there, I know there will be one constant. When it gets cold, it's time to break out the nits. Thanks for listening. This is By the Fiber Side. Fiber Week. Sorry this episode is so late. We got home late on Sunday, and... I'd started writing my essay, but the traveling just got ahead of me. And then Monday we had guests arrive, and yeah, yesterday just kind of went out the window. So I'm recording now. Life is good. I got my new drum, Carter, from Ashford. It's beautiful. It was a really, I think it's going to be a really, really good investment. I played with it a little bit before my, uh, my felting class and made a really... Lovely, but small bat, and uh, with this one, I can definitely tell that you need to put at least about 50 grams on it, if not more, to uh, to really get the uh, the kind of solid bat that comes off really easily. So I'm going to be able to play a little bit more after this coming Friday, which is my last uh, felting course, the the second session, and also because the renovations are almost done, just a little bit more decorating to do. it's another thing that's crossed off my list and i can get back into my fiber arts so my course went really really well i was a little worried because the email that went out to all the participants says that i said that i was a master felter and i was like oh lord i am not anywhere near a master felter and i explained that right away i said i'm a very technical spinner i'm a very technical knitter so when i felt This is my time to play. It's my time to embrace the chaos and just see what's going to happen and accept it. And, and, and I said, that's my hope for everybody in the class too. And they sort of, everybody sort of embraced that as well. You know, they're like, let's play, let's play with fun colors. Let's play with cool fibers, soap and water, and let's have fun. And everybody did. It was really, really great. You know, they, we had a few people who made really wonderful balls. They kind of, they got, they got the whole context of uh, wet felting to figure out, you know, how to do it. And there were some spectacular failures, too. I'm not going to lie. But, uh, but they sort of, the people who um, had those failures also sort of embraced my, my philosophy of what happens, happens. And uh, the one person was looking at it and going, if I cut this piece off here, then I can make it into a tree. And uh, so that was really, really wonderful. Everybody made at least two little um, balls and had a few people who even made some flat pieces. I brought some bubble wrap and so they made just sheets of, of uh, felt as well. So yeah, it was really, really fun. So this Friday I am teaching uh, the second session. Hopefully that will go just as well. After that I can play with the rest of the fiber that I purchased, and I can throw that on my drum carter and make fun things to spin. And I want to felt a little bit more too. You know, whatever's, whatever's left that I think is just good for felting, I will take that and, and uh, make some more ornaments for my own tree. So I am trying to get back into the spinning. I am still in the throes of marking, like I said, the renovations are mostly done, so that clears off a bit of time. And of course, I'm still doing my freelance work, but I've actually been able to take like ten minutes for the last each day for the last couple days and sit and spin, which has been really, really nice to be able to do that again. Right now, I'm working on a silk merino blend. I believe it's fifty-fifty that uh, my friend from England sent me several years ago for Christmas. I'm finally getting to it. The fiber itself is from a diary in Australia, so from Australia to England to Canada, and uh, there's your, your Commonwealth path there. But it just makes me smile to think about how, you know, the, the world is so small now that that can happen. So it's really pretty. It's three colors in sequence, starting with a red, transitioning to a green, and ending with a purple. Spinning it very fine, uh, because of the 50% silk means it just kind of wants to be that way. And then I'll chain ply it, and yeah, it should be really gorgeous when it's finished. It might be nice to do a cowl out of that. I think that would be fun. So we'll see how much yardage I get at the end, and and go from there. I've also decided to... Take advantage of the fact that the guild that I'm attending on Tuesday nights has spinning wheels, because usually Tuesday nights I get halfway home and remember that it's Tuesday night and I've forgotten to take a wheel from the office. So I'm going to spend some time and spin on guild wheels, and I'm going to spin guild fiber as well. We went through it yesterday, which I can tell you about because this podcast is late, and uh, just went through what was there and they've got you know tons of fleeces and you know bins of this and that and the other thing and so I'm going to start with the sort of the mix and match bin which is small pieces or small bits of different fibers and the one I think I'm going to start with is uh, a blend actually there's there was a bag of this really really neppy cotton Like just little balls in it. And I don't know if it's salvageable, but I'm curious. And there's also two bags, and probably pretty close to equivalent in terms of weight, of something that's labeled silk waste. Now, it doesn't look like any silk waste I've ever seen, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not. So I'm going to blend these two. First, I'm going to weigh them, see how much there actually is. And then I'm going to blend in that amount and make some punies. And then sample to see if it's actually worth spinning. I may spin the cotton on its own to see if that will be, if it will work. As well as the silk waste, but I'm definitely going to blend them and spin. Because, of course, it's silk and cotton, it'll be very fine. I think at the very least I'm going to be doing a three-ply, if not more. And yeah, we'll just see what happens. I'm kind of hoping it will work out, even if it is sort of a textured yarn. Because if we throw that into an acid dye the silk will take the dye and the cotton won't and that i think will make for a very very interesting yarn but first i have to sample and see if it's actually going to work so i'll be doing that next week and i'll post some pictures on the on the facebook page and and uh, yeah we'll see, we'll see if it's uh, going to be worth it this is actually a really good lead in because the next piece of level four we're going to talk about is actually blending exercises so in level four this is module d1 and i'm not 100 percent sure if we moved this or not but it is a it is a blending section and there are two pieces to this the first is a nine step gradient between black and white so you have black at one end white on the other end end and seven steps in the middle And then you have two skeins done on a hackle. One a homogenous blend and one a multicolored blend. So let's talk about this. The, The whole point of this exercise is to blend and to blend appropriately. And there are 11 skeins in this particular module and 10 of them have to be blend uh, homogenous now two of them are easy you take straight black and you take straight white and you spin those so now we're down to nine no eight eight skeins where you actually have to blend so what is the trick here the trick is your number of passes and how you stack if you want a a non-homogenous blend that's easy do one pass maybe two and then you have your your PC sort of multicolored fiber but if you want a homogenous blend it's going to take time and the thing to remember too is that the more times you card depending on the the your type of cards and the strength of the fiber the more likely you are to damage it so i lost a couple marks because My number seven and number eight grays, which were let me just go over here. My seven and eight are 25% black and 75% white, and 12.5% black and 87.5% white, or not as well blended as the others. Now, can you think of why? We're reaching the point in the gradient where white is significantly higher than black. And if you actually look at these skeins, even your 12.5% black is hugely dark compared to your 12.5% white on the other end. The gap between that 12.5% black and the 0% black is big. It's a bit like adding red to yellow. If you want orange, you're not going to go 50% red and 50% yellow. You're probably only going to do about, you know, maybe 25 and see what happens because red is so much more visible in the blend. And that the same goes for black. So those last two, I, I did them all the same, same number of passes. And, and everything, but those last two, I should have blended once more because they are still a little piecey. And that's because the black is so much stronger a color than the white. So that was done on hand cards. And then from a hackle, the same the same kind of holds. It's the number of times you go through it. Hackling's a bit different. You lash your fiber on and then you diz it off. And then you lash it back on and you diz it off. And you lash it back on and you diz it off. And you're always going to get waste. That's just the way it goes. But every time you lash on and diz off, you're going to get a better blend. Now for mine, let me just check here. I did four passes. And that made for a relatively homogenous blend. So I generally say for a homogenous blend, it's going to be between three and four passes, whatever your tool your mileage may vary on that, and it really is about you know the visual. You have to actually look at it. When you're doing with with this with cards, you're going to make a you know make a little bat, take it off your cards, and then you're going to stack all the bats. And then once you're finished that, you're going to tear a piece off of all the bats. You take that stack, you tear a piece off of all the bats off the side, you put that back on your cards, and you card again. It's the stacked method of carding. And so that's about three passes and you should have an homogenous blend unless again, the strength of your, of a particular color is higher. So between three and four passes. Now always be gentle because you never know what the strength of the fiber is. And again, the more you handle it, the more you card it, the greater the chance you're going to damage it. But it's a useful exercise to know how to blend something homogeneously. And also to blend something for multicolors, which is something I'm going to be playing with, with the drum carter. So that is uh, the exercise for level four. Next up would be module D2, and that was dyeing. And I think I still will talk about this because it is fun. Um, But again, dyeing has been removed from the Master Spinner program. But I do want to talk about it because it's acid dyeing. And acid dyeing is probably the easiest way for fiber artists to get into dyeing protein fibers. So we'll talk about that next time. And until then, oh, maybe I'll get a little bit more spinning done. Wouldn't that be nice? Fiber notes. I was pretty smart about my travel knitting this time. I'd started the balaclava for my nephew before I left and I'd gotten far enough along that I knew I would finish it while we were away. So instead of just taking that, I did take one other project, but it was also a project that I was half finished. So let's talk about the balaclava first. Really, really good pattern. I wasn't 100% sure about the gauge. I, when I knit with sock yarn, it's either socks or it's a shawl. And so this was kind of in between in terms of tension. and I really wasn't sure about it, but I think it will be good. You know, it's, it's loose enough not to be restrictive. Uh, no negative ease on that one. Not really. And yet, you know, tight enough to, to actually, you know, keep keep a person warm. So, and really clever, really, really clever construction. I would have had only two ends to weave in if I hadn't, of course, been using yarn I'd already knit with before and there was a break in the ball. No problem. Four ends to weave in. That was it. It fits me pretty tight. Therefore, I hope it will fit my nephew just fine. (laughs) He'd, uh, he'd sent me the measurement of his head, which was the largest size possible for this pattern. And when I was getting ready to start, I thought about this, and then I went and measured Randy's head, and his was less than that. So not sure what happened there. I went down a couple of sizes, so like I said, I think it will still fit him. And uh, and yeah, it'll be fine. But the pooling, you know, I I... I have fun with variegated yarns. this this one, it's the colors, you know, the orange and the white and the blue. Very sports team. I sometimes like uh, not necessarily a little more subtlety in my variegation. <laughs> maybe just not orange and blue. This is after all the fourth time I've knit with this yarn, so I might just be getting tired of it, but uh, but it pooled so interestingly. and' I'll, uh, I'll definitely get a picture of that. But yeah, it's it's pretty. I like it. And I hope he likes it too because it's the last time I'm going to knit with this yarn. Sorry. <laughs> so I finished that, and then the other project I'd br- brought along was the fingerless mittens that I'm knitting. Now I'd finished the first one before we left, and it kind of it kind of been sitting there while I worked on the balaclava. And so I started the second mitten on Saturday. And by the time we landed again uh, in on the Pacific coast, I was pretty much halfway up the thumb gusset, which is a lot of knitting. And my hands are paying the price for that a little bit, so I've been uh, not knitting nearly so much, but, uh, but I'll get back to it. It won't take me long to finish once I'm done the thumb gusset because it reduces the number of stitches and it just goes from there. They are really, really nice and and they fit well. It was a it was a good idea to go up uh, half a millimeter in terms of needle size. So definitely we will be done that before the next episode. And then I'm not sure, you know, I, I've i really kind of enjoyed finishing items. I'm not used to it, to be honest. I uh, I tend to knit a lot of large things. So finishing is not something that happens on a regular basis for me. And I've kind of realized how nice it is to finish something so i think i really need to slot more smaller projects into my life uh, instead of the big shawls and blankets and things that are currently on my needles so i may discover at some point in the next couple of years exactly how many pairs of fingerless gloves is too many but we'll we'll see what happens there could be a hat you know i've got a nice gain of worsted weight yarn that I bought with a hat in mind or and this is not small uh, the double knit that I had been talking about for my birthday the double knit scarf again not small that's two skeins of fingering weight yarn but yeah we'll see in the middle of the, of all this though I haven't made much progress on the wedding shawl although that is also close to being finished We've decided to move the wedding out of the summer and into October, partly because that's off-season and less expensive, and partly because uh, August, I would overheat wearing a shawl, guaranteed. Whereas in October, I'm less likely to, you know, just completely (laughs) not need to wear a shawl at all. If I'm actually knitting this thing, I want to wear it. So we're looking at October now, just trying to to figure out what we're going to do i know we have to get on that pretty soon and and come january once we're through christmas and maybe over christmas i'll do some more planning but right now that's just that's just where i'm at so so yeah made a little bit of progress finished a thing almost finished another thing it feels good Cranking on the fiber side. No surprise, I haven't been able to work on the sock machine at all in the last couple weeks. And I'm okay with that because we've been super busy. But uh, we have an open house this weekend, so I will be at the office for a good few hours on a day I'm not normally there. And I'm contemplating casting on again. You know, it's an open house. And so when people come in... Every time I've mentioned it to, to someone, they're like, really, what's that? So I'm kind of thinking it might be nice to have it up and running and, you know, just let people crank a couple of rows. So I'm probably going to, you know, cast on again with something, just random yarn. I think I'm just going to make another tube because I'm still kind of trying to figure out if my tension is set correctly. Maybe I should just make a tube where I mark down, you know, I do 10 rows of one tension and 10 rows of another tension so I can actually see what that looks like on the cylinder in that context. Or I might try and make a sock. I don't know. It might be better to sort of get a feel for what the tension is actually doing. And that would be an easy thing to do while people are coming in and, and we're talking to them about the things uh, at the office. So we'll see. I might do that. And I've been told to do a spinning demonstration as well. I'm happy to do that. So, uh, so yeah, that will be this weekend. And yeah, I'm, I'm thinking the tension exercise. That might be the best, the best idea. And get me back into cranking again. By the wayside. as I said last time, my progress is going to slow down a little bit on the accolade during the winter months. It gets dark so quickly and I really do need the natural light to sort of figure out the colors and all of that. But that said, I did get a little bit more done on the straight stitch and it's starting to come together, you know, as a a whole. As much as I detest backstitching and all of that kind of thing it really really does make a difference to a cross-stitched piece it just finalizes the picture and makes it look beautiful so i am holding on to that and i will do a bit more straight stitch when i have some time on the weekends and yeah just keep going Thank you for joining me for episode 72. By the Fiberside is a bi-weekly podcast, and I look forward to bringing you episode 73 on December 15th, 2019. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.bythefiberside.com. Join the discussion on Facebook or Ravelry. If you need to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at bythefiberside, that's F-I-B-R-E, at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. This is By the Fiberside.